I'll be reading from Luke 23, verses 26 to 33. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed a great multitude of people, of women, who were mourning and lamenting for him. But Jesus said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Thank you, Roger, for reading that passage this morning. It will be where we will focus our attention. And it is different to be here together on a morning that is not Sunday morning, but it's a, a Good Friday service. And it reminds me that sometimes names can be deceiving. We'll call these things uh, misnomers. They seem to be misnamed. Uh, I, I think about this every time I attend a wedding, because you've got the bride and the groom, you've got the maid of honor, and then there's the best man. And I always wonder, if he's the best man, why is she marrying, marrying that other guy? <laughs> She's settling for second best? What's going on here? Seems like a bit of a misnomer to me. Right up there with buffalo wings, which I was very disappointed as a child to find out were not actually wings from a buffalo, or instead chicken wings in a certain style. And, and then, of course, we have the funny bone, which is not funny at all when you hit it, uh, unless it happens to somebody else, and it's actually quite hilarious. So that's probably where we get the name from. It's not even a bone, it's a nerve ending, but it's a misnomer. And I feel like sometimes Good Friday can feel like a misnomer as well. What is so good about today? I mean, here we are, and, and we are, 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 are talking about the, the suffering and, and the shame and the death of Jesus. We are in lament. We are in lament. In fact, if I could get away with wearing all black today, I would. But I'm told that if I wear all black, I look like a disembodied head on the live stream. And apparently that's quite disconcerting. So as it is, I'm just a floating torso, and that will have to do. But it's not a good day because of of what we avoid, because we are here to focus on the death of Christ. We certainly will be in lament. We will be grieving. It's not a good day in spite of those things. It's actually a good Friday because of them. And so hopefully... We will understand the nature of this goodness by the time we are done learning together today. Would you pray with me as we ask God's blessing on our time to learn? Gracious Heavenly Father, it is Good Friday, and as such we have a very specific focus in our gathering, in our singing, in our approach to the Word, in communion that we'll take later, and that is to focus on the sacrifice of your Son Jesus upon the cross. And it is so familiar to us, many of us who have grown up in the church. Something even outside of the church that people know about. We have this holiday celebrated across the nation, and yet, what does it mean for us? What would it look like to truly sit at the feet of the cross for a few minutes here today? God, I pray that you would just send your spirit here to allow us to take nothing for granted. Allow us to understand maybe more fully and completely the nature of what Jesus endured and the hope that we have in him. We pray this in your name. Amen.
So there were a few things. As, as we read the passage, as Roger read it for us, so we followed along, there are some things that we want to learn from the experience of Jesus. And the first thing we want to do is we want to understand better the lament of the cross. Because we are gathered here today to grieve, and it's an odd way of, of getting together. And yet Sunday will feel quite different, but today we grieve, and there are, are a few things in particular that we lament. The first thing that we are lamenting is the terrible physical pain, the shame, and the death that Jesus had to endure upon the cross. Because this was a horrific thing for him to endure. It began with a betrayal by one of his closest 12 followers who gave him over to the authorities that so wanted to see him put out of the way because he was a thorn in their side. And then he was brought before these various different rulers and dignitaries in these shams or mockeries of a trial where they would somehow contrive to find this innocent person guilty of the most dangerous of all crimes. And because of the will of the people, uh, then the punishment was now meted out on Jesus and it began by him being whipped and flogged. And as that whip cut into his back and then was torn away, there would be strips of flesh that would come with it and he would bleed onto the ground. And it was not just the physical pain of the flogging that he had to endure, but the mockery and the belittling of everyone that was around him as they brought him great shame. And if that whipping was not enough, then they fashioned for Jesus a crown of thorns and they pushed it down upon his head. And that, of course, also had those same markings of shame and pain. It was shameful because of his claim not that long ago that other people joined in this claim. Hosanna to the son of David. He was to be the king of the Jews. And now this cruel mockery of a crown is placed on the head of a man condemned to death. And all the shame that came with it. And yet it was not merely shame because those thorns were barbed edges and then when that pressed down, they would have gashed into his forehead and sent blood running down his cheeks. And then on the heels of all of that, he, he gets this greater sentence of knowing that he is to be put to death, not just by any means, but by the means of crucifixion. And upon that sentence, Jesus is now forced to carry his cross. He may have seen a movie or a show that depicts this, and maybe he has the entire cross. It was very common in, in, in those days where the Romans would require someone condemned to carry the cross section of the cross upon their shoulders, and then they would prepare the rest of the tree where he was to be put to death. So likely carrying this crossbeam, Jesus carried it away, as we know that from the Gospel of John, but because of this emotional and physical fatigue from the shame and mockery and torture and pain, Jesus runs out of energy. He can no longer carry his cross. And so as we pick up in our story, we know that the Romans conscripted Simon of Cyrene to come and to carry the crossbeam of Jesus the rest of the way to the place of the skull where he was to be put to death. And as they arrived there, Jesus then was nailed to the cross. Sometimes the Romans would use ropes to uh, um, secure a victim upon the cross, and sometimes they used nails. But of course, when it comes to Jesus, there was no shortcuts. He was enduring tremendous pain, and I cannot even begin to fathom what it would be like to have thick nails driven through my hands and my feet. And that was the case for Christ. He was nailed to that cross, and then he was brought up to be crucified. And church, 
we have tended to in our paintings and in our movies and in our stained glass windows. We've, we've tended to, to try to give Jesus a shred of dignity, but it was almost for sure that he was naked upon the cross. No dignity left for him at the end of his life. Shame and pain. And this we lament. Jesus hung on that cross until he ultimately breathed his last breath and died. Now, to die of of crucifixion was not necessarily, it wasn't the flogging or the blood loss. It wasn't even the pain that was experienced because of the nails and the hands and the feet. What would happen is that the victim on the cross would need to hold themselves upright to breathe properly. And when the last of their energy left them, they would sag down and then asphyxiate to death. In church, I was uh, doing my research for my sermon and I was reading up about crucifixion and, and I had to take a break because this is a horrible, terrible thing that was done. And Jesus was far from the only one that had to go through this suffering, but he was the only one who never deserved it. You see, the Romans used this crucifixion to die, not only an excruciating death, but to be a public spectacle. To say that this is what happens to those who oppose the Roman Empire. You should know better. So not only do we lament the shame and the suffering and the death of Christ, we also today lament the unjust nature of the cross. The fact that it was so totally and completely and utterly unfair. Jesus was the only one of us who had ever walked through this Uh, on this earth and through this life, completely innocent. And yet, why would that pure and innocent person need to have such an excruciating pain and death? This would be terrible enough for anyone to endure, but even more so for Jesus, who did not deserve any of it. This was reserved for traitors and rebels and criminals of the worst sort. And somehow, in God's plan, also reserved for his son. Hanging between two criminals, one on either side, we get this picture, this recognition of the injustice of the moment. How can this be that Jesus would be between two such men? If we continue to read in Luke 23, picking up in verse 39, even these criminals recognized what was happening was not truly fair. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. We lament the pain and the death, and we lament the fact that it happened to someone who did not deserve it. Both of these should move us to grief this morning. And yet we do not stay just at the lament of the cross. Do not believe that is Christ's desire because as Jesus was making his way to the cross, he showed his heart for other people, what I will call today the heart of the cross. You see, I think if it was any other human being, including you or me, if I was facing my imminent death, do you know who I would be thinking about? me. (laughs) If I was trying to endure all of this and it was all unfair, I would be worried about me. But as we read this story, one of the things that strikes home is that in the middle of this, and Jesus knows what he is marching to, he shows his heart for others. 
The first group that he does this for is the daughters of Jerusalem. He shows them compassion. This is part of how much the story of Jesus has turned upside down, that on Palm Sunday we celebrated that triumphal entry where many of his followers had come from Galilee with him and they were proclaiming him to be king, crying out, Hosanna, save us. And now many of these same followers from Galilee are now on a different sort of procession. It's no longer a victory procession of a king. It is a funeral procession of a condemned man. And they are with him, and they are no longer shouting for joy. They are now weeping in grief. And many of these followers that have come to Jerusalem with him also come from Galilee or from Jerusalem. They're they're women. Many of them are women, and Jesus calls them daughters of Jerusalem, and he gives them his own heart, his own grief, his own compassion. I want to remind us of what he said in verse 28. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Even facing his own death, Jesus laments for those who are lamenting for him. And he says, I have it bad, and this is a dark and dreary time, but there is a time coming that will be worse, and it will be worse for you. And Jesus is foreseeing what will happen in about 30 years later, just over 30 years, in AD 70, when the Roman Empire will come in full force because of a Jewish revolt and uprising, and they will besiege Jerusalem, and they will conquer the city, and they will take it to the sword. They will completely destroy the temple and take away all of that worship, and they will ruin, rule Judea in an iron fist from that time forward. And Jesus knows that this will happen. And his heart hurts for those who will have to endure war and suffering in that way. And in order for him to declare his heart for the people in that time, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 10, verse 8, which says, The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on the altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Something is coming, says Jesus, in which it will be better for you to be buried than to endure the suffering that is to come. And then his last saying is difficult to fully understand or to specifically apply. He uses what is most likely a proverb, saying if if this happens when the wood is green, then what will happen when it is dry? Now, we can get the general sense of what Jesus is trying to say. He uses an analogy that's easy for us to access. I mean, we've all tried to make a fire at some point. We know that it's easier to to burn dry wood than than green wood or wet wood. During some of the springs of COVID restrictions, Karen and I would would still want to host people, so we would invite um, some, some people over for a fire in our backyard. And my goal each and every time was to make sure I started the fire early enough that it was all ready to go by the time anyone would arrive. And that was so that they wouldn't have to see me struggling to start the fire. Because I wasn't very good at it, even with all the cheating, and like the newspaper and the lighter, like it still seemed difficult. So then I found, I found something to be the case. We were using a lot of, of wood that had come off of our own property. When I bought proper dry firewood, starting a fire was a lot easier. Or at least that's my excuse and reasoning that I gave to myself and my wife and anyone who saw me try to start those fires. We know the general sense. Jesus says, if it is this bad now, how much worse will it be in the future? But what is he specifically referring to? 
we do not know. One possible explanation is, if the innocent Jesus suffers like this when the wood is green, what will the fate of the guilty Jews be when the wood is dry and it's deserved judgment? What will happen to Jerusalem? And none of it is good news. But Jesus is moved in compassion for others at what they will have to endure, even in the middle of the hardest moment of his life. He shows compassion. The second thing, as we continue to read past verse 33, we see that Jesus then offers forgiveness for those who are driving the nails into his hands. This is something that I can hardly comprehend. Jesus has now arrived at the place of the skull, and he has been crucified and lifted up naked and in shame. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. How hard would it be to offer forgiveness to those who are actively putting you to death, who are actively torturing you, who are actively taking your life away from you? I mean, that is forgiveness. That is something that is only done through the power of God. Now, Jesus knew that all of what was happening was part of God's bigger plan, and those who were executing him were unaware of that. There was a a certain ignorance. They were just following orders, or they were caught up in the mob, And and so Jesus wants compassion. He wants forgiveness for that. They know not what they do, and Jesus knows that forgiveness is what the cross is all about. But beyond this, the ability to forgive enemies is truly a characteristic of God and God alone. We know forgiveness is important. We also know that it's easy to forgive those who ask our forgiveness, for those who show that they're sorry, for those who love us in return. But Jesus models something completely and utterly different. In 1984, the province of Manitoba and all of Canada was was rocked by the, the murder of Candace Dirksen. And this was a murder that took a long time to find someone to properly bring to justice. But near the very beginning of that whole process, Candace's parents, Cliff and Wilma Dirksen, made the decision to forgive whoever had murdered their daughter. And they had done this largely from their faith. And so there was a survey that was sent out, I think in the free press, and they were wondering, do you agree with this decision to forgive and over 80% of Manitobans said, no, we, we strongly disagree with it. You are, you are letting someone off the hook. You're, you're, you're letting them get away with it. You're condoning the murder. This is the type of forgiveness that the world does not understand. But it is the exact type of forgiveness that Jesus portrayed even to those who are taking his life. That is the type of forgiveness that we are called to model, and it is truly evidence of God at work within us. So the heart of the cross, Jesus says, is full of compassion, it's full of forgiveness, but it's also full of hope, specifically hope for a criminal rightly, rightfully condemned to death. As we already said, Jesus was, was crucified in the middle of, of criminals who deserved this death, one on the left and one on the right, even though he didn't deserve any such thing. And one criminal added to this mockery. He was mocking Jesus and, and he was maybe asking for help selfishly and mocking in the other breath saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal had a completely different response. He says, no, no, no. Don't you fear God? Don't you know who this person is? He showed fear of God and faith in Jesus. And I love what he asks there. They're both hanging to die. And he looks over at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now that's faith. 
This is someone who has no illusions of an earthly kingdom of power. This is, this is throwing yourself in the trust and at the mercy of someone who's going to die right beside you. He understands what type of kingdom Jesus has been talking about all of this time. What faith, even with both hanging on a cross, the criminal believed. And Jesus responded to the faith of the guilty man by giving a message of hope. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus didn't need to give this hope. The man certainly had done nothing to warrant it. He was guilty and he knew it. He could do nothing to now change his life and and live differently and try to accomplish some good. He only had hours left to live. He couldn't go through baptism or make any public confession of faith. He had nothing to give. He was minutes away from the end. But Jesus gave him hope anyway. He forgave him anyway, proving on the cross that there is hope for all. And so we find this in the story And we also know it's not limited to our story because this is the heart of Jesus and the heart of the cross for you today. The heart of the cross for you is compassion for all who are grieving and who are mourning. The heart of Christ broke at the coming struggle for the daughters of Jerusalem. He knew what terrible things were to come and he grieved in his own compassion. The heart of Christ breaks when you are also overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. And I know for myself and my family, this is our first Easter weekend without my mom. She passed away almost a year ago in May. And so she was gravely ill at this time, but she was still around. And so it is easy to think of all these things and to know I prayed many prayers to Jesus during that time. And he didn't answer all those prayers the way that I wanted him to. But what means the world to me is to know that Jesus shared every single tear that was shed. He has compassion on those who are grieving. Jesus also shows forgiveness to all of those who have opposed or resisted God. Church, it's an uncomfortable truth to recognize that collectively, we all share in some responsibility for the death of Jesus. Now, we didn't hold that hammer, and we didn't put the nails in his hands and his feet, but our sin required that he endure the pain of the cross. Our brokenness, our, our, our sin, our opposition to God will require that if, if we truly were to have God be our God and we would be our, his people, if we were to have this relationship, if we were to inherit eternal life, Jesus needed to do this because of our sin and because of the heart of God. And so we all need that forgiveness. And this is the good news, that Jesus freely offers us this forgiveness even when our hands are still on the hammer. He doesn't wait for us to turn it around. He doesn't wait for us to do better or to have better doctrine. He offers forgiveness to everyone, even even those who are opposed and seem far from God. And the question is, have you accepted this forgiveness of Jesus on the cross? It is offered to you. It is given to you. Can you accept it? in faith, just like the the criminal on the cross. Because that other piece of the puzzle is that the heart of the cross is hope for each of us who have been rightfully condemned to death. Likewise, the criminal hanging next to Jesus did nothing to earn or merit eternal life. He was guilty. He was dying. He had nothing to give. And he was given hope. And I would say this truth. Once you have accepted that forgiveness of Jesus, the hope found in him, alone is yours as well. So grab hold of it by faith. 
trust that the promise is good and that when you too breathe your last, you will hear Jesus whisper in your ear, today you will be with me in paradise. And that church is why today is good Friday. So we see and we lament and we grieve the cross. We also recognize that there was so much more going on that even on his way to the cross, Jesus showed his heart for others. And now we want to talk about the way to the cross. You see, the way to the cross of Jesus, for Jesus, was full of shame and full of pain and full of death. And he endured it all so that our way to the cross could be radically different. Because of what Jesus did, our way to the cross is full of compassion, forgiveness, and hope. And so today we are going to remember the cross. We are going to remember what Jesus did for us. And so we are going to partake of communion. And as we do, I want you to remember two things side by side. First, I want you to remember all of what Jesus endured. Let us lament and grieve that suffering and shame and that pain he went through. Let us lament the fact that it is not fair that he had to do it. But let us also remember all of what Jesus freely gives to us, the compassion and the forgiveness and the hope. And when we hold all of these things together, we understand Jesus more fully. I'll read a few more verses from Luke 23. And at the end of this uh, selection of Scripture reading, you are dismissed to go about the rest of your good Friday. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 